Welcome to Part of the Family from South Charleston First Church of the Nazarene in South Charleston, West Virginia. I'm Paul Meal, one of the staff pastors here at SC First. In today's episode, we'll share the message from our Sunday morning service on February 20th. Then Greg Beheller, Becky Stephen, Pastor Chris Riggs, and I will take a few more minutes to dig even deeper into the message. Just by listening in, even if you've never joined us in person or online, well, you're part of the family too. This past Sunday, Pastor Kent Estep continued our Names of God sermon series with a message centered around the name Adonai. If you've already listened to or watched the message, you can skip forward a little more than 33 minutes for our discussion of the sermon. Now, without further ado, let's listen. Maybe you've heard of a guy by the name of John C. Calhoun before. I'm not sure if you have or not. He was an American statesman, a political figure uh, from South Carolina, and he held many different governmental positions in his uh, career. He happened to be the seventh vice president of the United States. He was the secretary of war under James Monroe. He was the sec- secretary of state under President John Tyler back in the uh, 1840s. And so back and forth uh, in these big positions he went. And even when he wasn't serving in some of those more prominent roles, he was serving in the House of Representatives or the Senate, again from South Carolina. Uh, But it was in 1837 uh, that he made this speech uh, that's received a lot of um, attention through the years. It was very interesting. It was provocative. It was controversial for sure. And it was a contested speech. Essentially, Calhoun's speech was a vigorous defense of the institution of slavery. But he did so from a different perspective, rejecting the idea by which so many were defending slavery in the day. You know, many were arguing that slavery was a necessary evil. That's how they described it. But they said it was necessary in that it was the only means by which the economic stability of the country could be preserved. And yet it was evil. They acknowledged that it was unfair and morally abhorrent, necessary evil. Calhoun, he comes along and he rejects both of those idea, uh, ideas, and he concluded that slavery was, in fact, not a necessary evil, but rather a positive good. He argued that it was positive even for the enslaved because, quoting from him, they received a standard of living far superior to what they could have achieved on their own. And he said further, it was good He argued again because slave owners assumed, and again I'm quoting, responsibility for every aspect of the lives of their slaves. So he argued it's not a necessary evil, it's a positive good. Now that's certainly a whitewashed, pun intended, portrayal of slavery. And easy for a wealthy, powerful white man from South Carolina to voice, I guess, that that slavery is, is a good thing, a positive thing. Uh, we would call that great spin coming from the then Democrat of South Carolina. Frankly, I would suggest to us that I can't think of any message that can be more negatively received and more offensive in today's culture than this one. I mean, can you? I mean, we're immediately turned off by that kind of talk, and we should be. In our world where racism is far from dead. In our world where sexual trafficking flourishes. In our world where oppression and subjugation of the marginalized marches on. And where we continue to see the horrors of enslavement going on in various ways of various kinds all around us. And so rightfully we think how could anyone... Make a positive argument for slavery, for enslavement of any kind, whether that was occurring in 1837 or 2022 or any time in the history of man. And so at the outset of this sermon, I want to point out to us that language, terminology, wording, semantics, all of that matter. And at times we can be, we can be, put off by certain words, they trigger something that causes our defenses to rise and make us resistant to hear, and certainly the word slavery or enslavement falls within that category. And therefore, I would suggest to you that the name of God that we study today, the name of God that we study today is quite capable 
of offending you. For God says his name is Adonai. It means that he is Lord and it begs the question, is he Lord in your life? Are you truly enslaved to him? I'm reading the story from Genesis chapter 15. Again, this involves Abram one more time in his connection, his, his uh, relationship with God. I begin at verse 1. Afterwards, Jehovah spoke to Abram in a vision, and this is what he told him. Don't be fearful, Abram, for I will defend you. I will give you great blessings. But Abram replied, O Lord Jehovah, what good are all your blessings when I have no son? For without a son, some other member of my household will inherit all my wealth. Then Jehovah told him, No one else will be your heir, for you will have a son to inherit everything you own. Then God brought Abram outside beneath the nighttime sky and told him, Look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be like that, too many to count. And Abram believed God. Then God considered him righteous on account of his faith. And he told him, I am Jehovah who brought you out of the city of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. But Abram replied, O Lord Jehovah, how can I be sure that you will give it to me? So that day Jehovah made this covenant with Abram. I have given this land to your descendants from Wadi El Arish to the Euphrates River. And I give to them these nations, Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, Jebusites. I don't know exactly how Raphim makes its way into all those ites, but nonetheless. The name Adonai, God gives it to himself. He is recognized as, as Lord by, by Abram. And this name of God is used some 400 times in the Bible. Adonai, he is Lord. Again, this is a plural word, so it again emphasizes the Trinitarian nature of God. He is in an ending, eternal relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's this name that he gives himself, which means he is master. He is ruler. He is owner. He has dominion. He alone is Lord. God is master. I'll say it again. Go ahead and add that word, right? If we're talking about irrelevant words, go ahead and add that word master to that list. I mean, it certainly belongs on the offensive pile of words these days, right? I mean, that word was dropped from home description several years ago. Realtors no longer refer to a master bedroom, but a primary bedroom. And listen, I'm not suggesting that that change is necessarily a bad one, but I'm simply making the point again that many words that connect us to this idea that God is Adonai, connect us to his name, these words, many times those words that connect us to God cause disconnect within us. We are resistant to this kind of idea. You see, culturally, Adonai was the name, it was the language used by slaves who in fact addressed their masters. This was the title given as subjects address their kings, and many times their kings and their masters treated them harshly, right? It, it, they, they, they took advantage of them. And yet this is the name by which God chooses to reveal His character. And what our relationship with God should be like. But again, are we willing to embrace His name? Because if we will embrace this name, it means that we must submit ourselves to his lordship. And while we're talking about offensive words, there are two more words that cause us great difficulty, the word submission and the word lordship. But again, we're beginning to hear, at least we should be beginning to hear and see more clearly what our relationship with God should be, who he is and who he should be to us. Still confused and maybe needing a break? Let's turn to the world of pets for just a moment uh, that we might capture a, a, a deeper meaning of the word Adonai. Uh, the guy by the name of Bob Sogren, he made this clear in a book that he entitled Cat and Dog Theology. And it, it describes the different attitudes that 
dogs and ha- cats have toward their owners. So which are you, a dog or a cat? A dog says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, and you love me. You must be God. A cat says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, and you love me. I must be God. <laughs> and I'm not, de- I'm not even done yet. In a humorous way, this book captures contradictory ways in which we approach God, right? Both cats and dogs want obedience in their lives. Dogs want to obey God, while cats want God to obey them. Dogs worship God primarily for who He is, while cats are all about what's God done for me lately. Paul Sogren, he ends this, concludes this thought. Dogs study theology and cats study meology. Very good. Some of you were with me. But really, isn't this what life comes down to in so many ways? Who will be sovereign? Who will be sovereign? Who will be in charge? Who is going to rule? Will it be the Lord or will it be me? In this encounter between Abram and God, God God is making himself known. He's revealing his love and his care and his protection, his provision to Abram. He's been doing that throughout this relationship. But also at this same time, God is claiming his ownership and his lordship over him. In Abram's reply, in the midst, and I want to make sure we get this, and I'll talk about it a little bit more. But it's important for us to see that it's in the midst of some uncertainty and even doubt that we again hear Abram's confession that God is truly his Lord. You again may remember this relationship and how it started, God's calling of Abram. It happens in Genesis chapter 12. God speaks to him and says, go, leave your country, your family, go to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you with abundance and make your name famous and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And so this was all good stuff. This was all welcome news for Abram to hear. Great promises made by Yahweh, Jehovah God. Abraham had heard all these things. He believed them. He had acted on them by faith. And Abram, Abram responded to God, right? I mean, he had taken the risk. He had followed into a land that he did not yet know. He had done that wholeheartedly. In fact, Abram had been in the promised land now about 10 years as we turn from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15. And yet some of the things that God had promised Abram Some of those things that had been promised had not yet been fulfilled. In fact, there was still no baby. He was still waiting. There was no baby and Abram began wondering. He was questioning, what's going on? How how much longer am I going to have to wait? And so he asked this question of God. But notice how he asks the question. Notice there in verse 2 that Abram, when he asked the question, he does so addressing God as Lord. In doing this, Abram, again, he is appealing to God's character. He recognized that God is his owner, his ruler, that he is Lord. He recognized God's ownership of him. And in that, he recognizes as his owner that God is also responsible for him. And so there still existed in Abram this trust in God's provision and in his faithfulness and in the assurance that my promise will come true though it has not yet been received. Abram came to know that that God's ownership of him was more about his relationship of care over him versus God's control of him. That's how Abram understood God's ownership, that God loves me, that he is responsible for me, that he's going to be true to his promises. He cares for me. If there was one thing that I could convince you of today, that would be it, that the Lord, in fact, does care for you. He's not as interested in controlling you as expressing his care for you. And when you realize how much he cares for you, then you're willing to relinquish control over to him because he's so much more trustworthy than you are. That's what it boils down to. 
Let's turn it back to the pet world for just a moment. Some of you may own a dog or a cat. You may be one of those crazy pet owners that we talk about, right? Maybe you are. And if you're not one of the crazy... <laughs> if you're not one of the crazy pet owners, then you, you know someone who is, right? Now, some of these things are not necessarily good, right? But they, they make my point about how seriously... How seriously you take your responsibility as your pet's owner. How much you care. How much you love. And you're the master, right? You're the master of that pet. And so many of you, maybe you'll admit it this morning and maybe you won't, but you would rather spend time with your pet than any other person on earth. Some of you would be willing to admit that today. Some of you are willing to freeze in place just because Fido has fallen asleep on your lap and you're unwilling to move. So you're not going to disturb their rest. Some of you are more concerned with your pet's diets than your children's diets. I know that's the case. And you talk to your pets in that baby voice, right? Like your mummy or daddy. You do that all the time. You Skype your, your pet when you're away, when you're out of town. And your, and your devices, your social devices, your phone, they're, they're just clogged up with all your pet's pictures. You're one of those crazy pet owners. You love them, right? And so you're demonstrating your deep love for your pet. That's what you do. And so how much more so does God love us and care for us when we are his children? And so with confidence in God's care and love, Abram demonstrates willful submission to God's plan. He confirms it with his address of God. He is Adonai, you are master, you are ruler, you are owner. And listen, here's what we need to understand. It's in this acknowledgement, it's in this acknowledgement that the path is opened up for Abram to hear more from God and, from God to, and for God to speak more clearly to him. And that's what happens in this story as the covenant is confirmed and the relationship, Abram's relationship with God is deepened Further, Abram realized what Warren Wearsby, a, a Bible commentary guy, came along and said hundreds of centuries later when he penned it this way. The first duty of every soul is not to find its freedom, but its master. Oh, if we would listen to that and heed that instruction. Our goal in life is not to find our freedom, but to find who will be master. And that requires submission on our part. I would suggest that too many so-called Christians have settled for a much lesser version of God. Settling on defining God too narrowly. Without experiencing the full power of Adonai. You see, so many want God to save them. As a Christian, you want God to save you. But you don't want God to rule over you. To experience all that God can do for us as ruler and master and owner over our life, we've got to willingly surrender ourselves to Him. And that means, that means when He is Lord, He gets to call the shots in our life. He gets the final say on our decisions. It's His perspective that we're interested in when we make our choices and we're making the huge decisions of life. And when we don't, and when we won't submit, our relationship with God is truncated. It's cut short. It's damaged. It's not all that it should be. For the simple reason that God is not going to disclose more of Himself as Jehovah, revealing Himself fully to us and all of His ways to us, if we become unwilling to confess and demonstrate that He will be Lord of our life. Tony uh, Evans, uh, an African-American pastor in Dallas, Texas. I'm reading his book on the names of God. And one of the things that he says in that book is this. One of our problems in the body of Christ is that we have too many Christians who want God to get them to heaven, but who don't want God to own them while they're on earth. Candidly, frankly stated, we can't enjoy we can't enjoy the full blessing of God when we're withholding ourselves from Him. 
Because listen to this. Here's what I know to be true personally. It was true in Abram's life. It will be true in yours. So often the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives are tied to our surrender. That's when we hear God most clearly. He's calling us to take a step of faith with Him. And unless we're willing to take that step of faith, we don't get to experience the fullness of God's blessing and what He can do in our lives. Because we're still trying to manipulate and control everything. We're not walking in faith, and so we don't expose ourselves to all that God can do. It's that simple. It's that simple. And so I'm asking us, what are you continuing in your own life to hang on to? What privilege is so important to you that you're hanging on to it? What, what disobedience continues in your life because God surely couldn't have meant that? God surely wouldn't restrict me from doing such and such or this, that, and the other thing because it's what I want and it's what I want right now. And so I don't see any purpose in withholding or stepping back from those things. I'm going to do it my way. There's a story that goes back to the country of India, a boy who enjoyed playing marbles, and he was very good at it. He, was, he had taken just about everybody's marbles. He was so good at it. They would play for marbles, and he would win time and time again. And he had one marble in particular that was very close to his, to his heart. It was his blue marble, his very special marble. It had, it had led to him winning many matches. And one day he was going through town. He was looking for someone to play marbles with, and he saw this young girl she didn't have marbles, but she had a, block, a, a box of candy. And uh, though candy, chocolate candy was not his first love, he did, like, he did like chocolate. And so he began talking with this young girl, and his salivary glands began working, and his stomach was rumbling, and, and he decided, I've got to get my hands on those chocolates. And so concocting a, pan, a plan, he, he spoke to the girl, and he said, how about you give me all those chocolates for all these marbles? And she said... That sounds fair to me. And so he, as the discussion started, he put his hand down in his pocket and he was searching for the distinguishing cracks on his special blue marble. And once he identified that marble, he pushed it down to the very bottom of his pocket and then he pulled out all the other marbles. And as he handed those marbles to the girl in exchange for the chocolate, the boy thought his plan was a wonderful success and he turned to walk away. But as he began to eat that first piece of chocolate, he suddenly began questioning. He began to be a little more suspicious, suspicious, and his own guilt began plaguing him. And he turned to the girl and asked, Hey, hey, did you give me all those chocolates? Did you give me all those chocolates? You see, what he does is what we so often do in our own thinking, in our own defiant, devious, deceptive way, we become like the boy in the story. We want everything. We want everything God has to offer. We want heaven, according to Tony Evans, or the blessing of God, or a secure sense of God's presence, or our prayers to be answered. We want to feel close to Jesus. We want it all. We want everything but are we willing to give up everything for it? Are we willing? Many times I think there's a blue marble in our lives that we seem unwilling to offer to the control of Christ. And until we fully subjugate ourselves to God's will, His revelation of Himself will be incomplete and our participation in God's kingdom will be stymied. Surrendering to His Lordship, of course, is full of hopeful promise. I mean, that's what we see in this story. Abraham did that, and he received the full promise of God. What did he receive? For further revelation. He received an intimate covenant. He got a new name. He became the father of many nations. When, when he came to know God as Lord, as Adonai, and I ask us this morning, is he your Lord? Is that who God is to you? There's a famous poem that goes way back, all the way back to 1875. It was written by an Englishman. His name is William Henley. It's entitled Invictus, and it's pretty famous. Through the years, it's inspired many, uh, some for good, others for evil. 
Nelson Mandela said it provided encouragement to him in the dark days of his imprisonment when he was fighting against South African apartheid, while Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, uh, handed it to authorities, the, the poem Invictus, as his last words prior to his execution. And so these words have been powerful for a very long time, some, some you know, receiving inspiration from them. Now, when I read these words, I've got to say I view them more negatively than positively because as, as Henley contemplates the place of man in the universe, I mean, he, he expresses agnostic uncertainty. Uh, there seems to be this unyielding arrogance and, and godlike, uh, godlike sovereignty that he claims for, for his own. Uh, you listen to these words and see how they might speak to your heart. The poem Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, Black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Sixteen years after Henley published that, that poem, a famous preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon offered another philosophy of life that happened on June 7, 1891, in the closing words of what would be his final sermon. Spurgeon urged people to submit to a better captain of their souls. Spurgeon preached it this way, Every person must serve somebody. We have no choice as to that fact. Those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend upon it. You will either serve Satan or Christ, either self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the uniform of Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest unto your souls. If you could see our captain, you would go down on your knees and beg him to let you enter the ranks of those who follow him. It is heaven to serve Jesus." And in further answer to the hopelessness of self-sufficiency and self-determination and self-sovereignty, Dorothy Day penned a poetic rebuttal to Invictus in the year 1908 or I believe somewhere around that time. Listen to how she writes and takes on everything that Henley wrote in Invictus and challenges it. Listen to her words. Out of the light that dazzles me... Bright as the sun from pole to pole, I thank the God I know to be for Christ, the conqueror of my soul. Since His the sway of circumstance, I would not wince or cry aloud under the rule which men call chance. My head with joy is humbly bowed. Beyond this place of sin and tears, life with Him and his the aid that, spite the menace of the years, keeps and will keep me unafraid. I have no fear, though straight the gate. He cleared from punishment the scroll. Christ is the master of my fate. Christ is the captain of my soul. And so I conclude with a few questions for you. Is God... Is Christ, is Jesus your Savior? Is He Lord? Is He the captain, the ruler, the master? You know, in this world, in this world where slavery language is repugnant and repulsive, it turns us off as it should when we think about the human atrocities of slavery and continuing physical oppression and enslavement. All of that is true. But would you hear me today say, Spiritually speaking, we are enslaved. We're enslaved. The question is, to whom or to what? 
Will we be enslaved to sin and shame and guilt and our own self-sufficiency? Or will we be enslaved to the Lord who cares for us, who loves us, who wants our very best in life, and with every command it has a promise of fulfillment? What are we going to choose? I hope that you will choose as I have, like Paul does, that as he writes in 1 Corinthians 7, he says this, he says, The more I am a slave to Jesus, the freer I am. It is as simple as that. I'm going to read it again. The more I am a slave to Jesus, the freer I am. It is as simple as that. Today, I'm a slave. I choose to be. My owner loves and cares for me, and I trust him like no other. Would you today make that decision to become enslaved to the God of this universe? Give your life over to him, not trying to grasp it for yourself, but saying, God, yes, indeed, amidst the uncertainty, amidst the questions, amidst the doubt, I'm choosing to make you Lord of my life. Come alongside me. Direct my paths. Help me to follow in your footsteps. I want to live my life for you. Would you make that decision today? Father, we ask you in the power of your Holy Spirit to sweep over this room with your very presence and penetrate hearts today. Maybe hearts that have been turned off by this idea that they've got to surrender their life to someone. But the fact of the matter is they're doing that. Recognized or not, they're a slave to something or someone. We just ask them to make the better choice today. To make the choice of the one who loves them and cares for them, not the one who, who seeks to destroy them. You're the giver of life, abundant life in you. Satan has come to steal and to kill and destroy. Visit us with your presence. Help that one that's struggling in this moment to say yes to you, to surrender their life, that they might be blessed and walk in the fullness of your plan for their life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome back to the studio. I'm here with uh, Greg Beheller and Pastor Chris Riggs. And our special guest for the evening is Becky Stephen. Uh, Becky is a longtime member of our church, very involved. Becky, tell us a little about your SC First story. We came to church here, as so many families have, as part of Upward. A friend of mine invited uh, my youngest daughter to join with a friend who ended up not joining, and we came. Uh, my oldest, our oldest daughter got to play one year, and Hannah got to play three years, but nice. we stayed, and uh, it took, our family went through a divorce after that, but so it took me a good while to like really commit uh, to the church right um but so glad i did and and definitely feel part of the family well good we're glad mm -hmm. to have you as part of the family and you're you're involved on our prayer team which is yes. a ministry we haven't talked about on here yet with our, our worship pastor kyle stotts uh, leads tell us a little about the prayer team the prayer team is um gosh a group of people who have led me as well as all of us into a much, much deeper walk with God. Um, we meet uh, and first of all, we praise and worship. Uh, we pray about needs. Um, sometimes it, it may be one uh, deep need that we focus on. Other times it may be prayer list, um, concerns, but we just love to worship and we love to pray. We also keep track of all the, the needs and prayer requests through a group app That's great. Uh, that we're part of. And we're a small group, but um, we like to think that, that God, well, we know without a doubt God is with us and he hears and answers our prayers. You're small but mighty. Well, and we like to think we're, so. We're two or three are gathered in his name. <laughs> absolutely. So, absolutely. Yes, well, absolutely. We're, we're glad to, to have you as part of that and glad to have you here this, this evening. So we're talking about Pastor Kent's sermon from this past Sunday. He continued his Names of God series, as you may have just heard in the recording, um, dealing with the name Adonai. And um, I, that was, I, I really, really 
like this one. Of course, uh, we were talking earlier before we started recording. We were talking about their songs based around the name Adonai. Avalon from the late '90s had a great <laughs> oh, song, um, and there's and then Cassie, our, our youth pastor, was playing another one for us that's more more modern, more recent. The one I the one I'm familiar with is from 1997, of course, but um, <laughs> but it's just one of those names. It, there's in addition to being just there's something poetic about saying it, the meaning behind it. So so Greg, let's let's jump in here. What uh, what what spoke to you uh, out of this message? Well, I like the journey we're on. Um, we're learning new words uh, every week and revealing God's character. And um, I, I think it's drawn me to a deeper kind of thought process about the character of God and, and what Adonai really means. And, uh, you know, Lord and the words that that Pastor Kent used in that sermon are words that um, aren't popular words in our culture today, you know, like submission. Um you know, Lord, those are, you know, those are words that, that probably don't get a lot of play today. But as you think about those, and, you know, one, again, it reveals God's character to us, but also I think speaks to me about um, our relationship right. with God and how right. that understanding those words and the names of God really help us deepen our understanding of who he is, his character, and deepens our own walk with him, as Becky was talking about. It, it really has helped me uh, deepen that, um, come to a better understanding of not only as a provider, but um, that he also cares, you know, cares right. deeply about me as a Lord, right? He takes on a lot of the responsibilities of caring for me. And I think there's just some new thoughts I've had about. Well, I think that that gets the misuse of that in culture. Uh, the idea that Lord has never been seen in a positive light because of the fact that the people who were Lords or who did create that kind or of, who were masters or masters right. did, yeah. did not have the best care and didn't have the love for the people that were under their their you know and it so was, it was an abusive relationship sure it was. Yeah. so i mean in context we don't have anything right. except when it comes to god and you know that's a different look at it right. so. don't you think that um, you just brought up a good word don't you think that it was so imperative that pastor kent spent so much time at the beginning bringing today's culture and climate into those sure. words because right. if he had not and jumped directly into the use of those words in the bible i don't know about everyone else but i certainly have negative connotations with those right. with a lot yeah, of absolutely. those words i think a lot of us do yeah. and, I'm not, and i'm not sure there's i'm not sure there's a real positive like in the sense of i want how many of us could truly be good lords masters in any right. situation since we're all fairly self-centered to begin with and we are i mean it's where our nature is but that's the great thing about god in this perfect role is that there's no you know he's always giving and loving right. and caring i mean you can he can be the lord and master of my life and i still feel that he's you know caring for me i can trust in that i can i can be he's faithful to that right so. from a human standpoint yes i mean sure. uh, any any human person who's put in a position of power has to guard so so tightly against corruption because yeah. power is something we're not well equipped to handle, <laughs> um, and so yeah, it is it is a difficult context. And, and Pastor Kent did a fantastic job of setting up that context for us. That that I mean, he even pulled in John Calhoun talking about slavery being a, a <laughs> oh, positive yes. good, good yeah. and and. No, you know, in a human context, that is absolutely not true. That threw us off for a loop, though. Right, right. And so, but in the context of us willingly becoming enslaved to God in, in, that, in that divine context, it takes on a whole different meaning. So, you know, he contrasted, he didn't compare, but he contrasted um, what automatically pops into our minds with, as Greg, you were saying, you know, the other characteristics of God. And I just want to, I want to say that uh, the night before, I, I personally have not been coming to church regularly because of COVID and some health concerns. But I knew the night before that I was coming to church Sunday. I knew the Holy Spirit laid on my heart that I was coming. And as soon as I started hearing this message and got past my initial, um, right, the, the walls that go up. Yeah, you, the yeah. walls that went up, yeah. yes. Then I realized how much that was meant for me because 
um, especially as he got further into the sermon, the words master, owner, ruler, dominion, those are strong words. Right. And they, they definitely elicited for me some strong feelings because I came from a marriage where those words and those concepts unfortunately were brought into the marriage. Right. Wow. So, you know, not it, it, it happens to so many. And I think that's the other reason why it was important to bring this sure. into present day and, and the whole, the words, the meanings, the feelings, because there are many people where right. those words, as you said, are used as mm. control. So it was perfect day for me to hear. I've loved all the other ones, but I especially so far right. have loved it's, this it's one. Amazing how the Holy Spirit works that way too. It, it, <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine. <laughs> well, and you know, Greg leading us off talking about all the different names of God. I think that's one of the reasons that's so important is because um, different people, we have, we carry different baggage. And so uh, for some people, it's very difficult to relate to God as father because of their own relationships with their fathers. Um, you know, I was I was blessed with a with parents who who I didn't have that struggle. Maybe on the opposite side, I, I might have considered, you know, I might have not considered the difficulty sometimes of serving God because my parents didn't make it difficult for me to to be in relationship with them. And sometimes it is hard to follow God. Sometimes God asks difficult things of us. So when we look at all these different names of God, everybody it gives everybody a different foothold into that relationship with him. Because like Greg was saying, it, it doesn't just, God's not just defining himself through these names. He's defining his relationship with us through these names. Um, and so, you know, the story of, of Abraham that, that we led this sermon off with out of the scripture where, where God had made this promise and, and he was just, Abram was just devastated because this promise didn't seem like it was going to be able to be fulfilled. And God said, no, you don't get to define how this works. You know, I'm in charge here and I, I'm going to keep this covenant that I made with you. And so for God to be able to define our relationship with him in that way, just the way he did in this scripture, I think is so important in our modern day uh, because we don't, you know, we are so independent. We don't, we don't, we think we don't want to have an owner or a master. We don't want to submit that way. And yet it is what God calls us to but only with him, you know, that's, is that a safe place to be? He provides that, that safe relationship where we can fully submit to him because he is ultimately good. And I love that imagery too, that, you know, I think my picture of that is, is God was very patient with Abraham. He says, Hey, go outside, <laughs> look up, look at the stars, right? Count all those. Right. That's, that's where we're headed. Right. And you know, that's maybe not a, an emotion or maybe not a, a way that I would maybe typically think a master would, would handle that question, right? But with such compassion, right? right? He knows he's been waiting a long time. It's been 10 years or whatever it's been, right? But he just says, hey, you know, just go outside, take a look, look at the, look at the sky, count the stars. And, that's, and that's, even after all that Abram had seen God do, yeah. he still was looking only at that day. I don't right. have an heir. Right. And God didn't say, you know, didn't like, Blast him and say, "Come right. on, come yeah. on! We're right. looking toward the future." He was, he was human, just yeah. like we are. He was looking right then. I don't have a son. That, that's a good point. All that's well, and we and we look. I mean, you know, we look around at other humans to define those terms for us. And like, like you were talking about, Greg saying, I mean, why wouldn't we look at God, the very creator of those terms? You know, why wouldn't we use? Why wouldn't He be the the fulfillment, the full meaning? of those terms in our lives, you know what I mean? So like you were saying, people who, you know, look at, have maybe had a bad father relationship and it's hard for them to look at that, but really why wouldn't we look to God always to define those terms for us? Because he would be the full definition of it, you know what I mean? So, right. so that's where we need to start looking almost every time. And right. sometimes we don't, so. That's a good point. It's that, it's that contrast between control and care that Kent made, you know, this isn't a relationship of control yeah. It's a relationship of care that God wants to. That's, it. to. that's exactly like almost word for word what I wrote down when I was listening again today. You know, <laughs> the the meaning of lordship, you know, in my life, the, the control was there, but never the care and protection either yeah. from, you know, father or husband. So to look to God is such a wonderful growing experience. Right. Sure. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. 
Um, I do have to say, talking about the pet theology thing, <laughs> I, I think Kent, we might go Kent missed an awesome opportunity for a pun. Dogs have have theology. Cats have, he said, meology. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't it be meology, really? Oh, I yes, mean, come sure. on. How do you walk wow. that close to that pun and not wow. just. It may have been too much. He wasn't that brave. He wasn't that brave. Um, but yeah, Greg, you said you were hoping we'd go there. What? Well, no, I just thought, you know, it was such a clever way um, to really maybe bring new light to that discussion. You know, if you couldn't understand it, you know, in the way he'd already presented it, then mm-hmm. let's bring it to some simpler terms, maybe. But, sure. you know, uh, as pet owners, you know, this this idea that dogs view us as their master, mm-hmm. right? Because we care for them, because we we you know bathe them, we feed them, we make special beds for them, we hold them in our laps for hours and don't move. All those things that Pastor <laughs> Kent said, right? And so they view us as the master because of the care that we and that we provide, the love that we give them. Where the cat theology is just the opposite, right? Where you know, hey, you feed me, you bathe me, you take care of me. I must be God, right? Right, and so, um, so maybe the meology is, you know, it's it's a play on that word, right? It's it's yeah. all about me, right? right? And and this is all about about submission. And I think Pastor Kent in the sermon right off the bat, I underscored this. He just says, "Are you enslaved to him?" That's like on page two of the sermon, right? He, I mean, he does lead off with a pretty big question. And that's really the right. question of the sermon, really. Are you enslaved to, are you, is, sure. is Christ Lord of your life? And that is the, that is the question that he's driving towards this whole sermon. Well, didn't we, I mean, I think back to my youth, my youth ministry days, like all of six months <laughs> ago when I was still young. <laughs> back, back in the day when I was a youth pastor. Um, anyway, I was, you know, we always told our, our teenagers that somebody is controlling you. You know, there's always going to be something you're going to be somebody's going to be the Lord of your life. Something is going to be that dominant thing. But that's a that's just a true statement. I mean, we're in one sense, we are designed inherently to have someone be Lord over our life. And if it's not going to be God, it's something else. I mean, it's ourselves it's, or it's that's right. right. So, I mean, else. you know, we always tell teens, you know, it could be music or we have all these things that we would right. say could be to control sports, you know, all right. that kind of stuff. But I mean, it's a, that same concept is just a true concept. I mean, we, um, we want to have that. We want, I think we're almost designed to have, have that control in our life. Like we want right. that. We strive to have right. that Lord of our life. And if it's not God, then it's not, you know, then it's not right. I mean, it's not, it's not good. Well, I think the one, uh, he quoted someone as saying, either you're serving Satan or you're serving That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Spurgeon. I think That's, that yeah. was, yeah. And and that goes a step further into like what you're saying. You're going to have it one way or the other. And I think we crave that because God made us as a relationship. I agree. And whether that relationship stays in a a good um, in a good context or whether it is a control protection, whatever that is, you know, it defines that that for us so right. but i think that's why that's a good point i yeah, think that's why we are made us? that way does no. it surprise us no. you know when we choose to serve something or have somebody have somebody rule over us that's not sure. god i mean but of course you know, his ultimate design was be that's in right. a relationship yeah. with me please <laughs> right. right well what's the old cliche there's a god-shaped hole in all of that's us that's true and yeah that's right. that is the way that we're created and we can try to plug other things in there and but the only fulfillment comes in that submission to him. And that's another word we we definitely don't like in our in our society in our culture submission, but to submit to him. And uh, I love the the quote from Kent. He said, "Too many Christians have settled for Jehovah, which we've talked about uh, for a couple of weeks. The the provider, right. the I am, I'll be what I'm going to be, defining God too narrowly without experiencing the full power of Adonai to experience all that God can do for you as ruler, master, and owner over your life." And he says, you know, that means he gets to call the shots. And that, that goes that goes against what we, especially, I think, in America, what we've been raised against, that we get to call our own shots. Um, and yet, as Christians, we do have to submit willingly to him. And what we get back is so much more than anything we could have had on our own. And that's that's the part that's that's easy to miss, especially for people who are pre-Christian, who haven't had the experience of, of being in that relationship and, and feeling and experiencing everything that God wants to give us and do in us, you know, not, not physical things, but everything he wants to do in our lives, that fulfillment that only can come from, from that kind of relationship that he really longs 
and created us for. So taking that a step further, how did you guys feel when he brought up, we want to be serve God just to go to heaven? That, that is a concept that in my, probably my mid twenties, I began to, as a youth pastor, I began, began to not, I began to change the way I taught about heaven and hell. Um, because for me, heaven is the cherry on top. I, you know, as a human being, I am not capable of truly understanding what it's going to be like to be in heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have all this imagery that, that John gave us in Revelation. We, you know, we have streets of gold. We have the sea of glass. We have the, the throne room. We have the, the mansions of gold, all that. But that's not an accurate description. John was using that most elevated, highest language he could use to describe what he had seen in this, in this godly vision. So I, I think, uh, oh, well, you know, that's, that sounds great and all, but I, I really can't wrap my mind around what that's going to be. So I am not a Christian anymore. I, I think there certainly was a time where I, I was a Christian as a teenager because of fire insurance, as the old, the old saying goes, you know, keep me out of hell. Um, but there came a point in my 20s where I thought, you know what? No, I am a Christian because I believe it is the best, most fulfilling way to live life on this earth. And, and it prepares me for an eternity that I can't begin to understand. But I am a Christian because I don't think there's a more fulfilling way to live on this earth. And maybe people would argue with me about that. But No, I, I agree. I think um, I, I became a Christian at a revival where uh, the message was I was going to hell. And it, that's how I was motivated to go um, to the altar was this fear of going to hell. Now, yes. I'll tell you that that like much like Paul, you know, what I discovered was that was really not the end game. So to speak. it is maybe so to speak, but it was really about um, a relationship with Christ and, and knowing him, him knowing me and um, surrendering my life to live a much <coughs> better fulfilling life right. uh, in this relationship with Christ. And so I, I think part of that too, for me, when we talked about um, uh surrender it, 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 it for me it it yes there are parts of of my life that i have surrendered but there are still parts i think that christ continues to work on me to to be lord over that there are still parts of my life that i right. want to hold on to and and be in control and be the master of and uh, i think this sermon really helped me you know uh, maybe broaden my scope a little bit and look at some things in my life that i'm still trying to maybe hold on to um and, and ask the tough question, is he Lord right. of my entire life? Sure. You know, not just the pieces that are the easiest, but there are some other pieces. Uh, and I, I was thinking back to the story about Abraham, and, and we talked about this earlier, about him um, with Isaac, right? That was, that was burning the bridge to the future, right? And so that's the part, you know, the, the past for me is the easy part to let Lord have control over and, mm-hmm. and take away, but it's the future stuff sometimes that I can get caught up in. And, right. And so, so it's, you, you know. asked the question, Becky. So what do you think when uh, I, <laughs> I, and, and just sitting here listening and being part of the discussion, I came up to a new realization that is so true in my life. I grew up in the opposite, uh, hellfire and I grew up in hellfire and brimstone. So I have been grilled my entire life. I mean, most of my life, decades, into every night you pray to God that you haven't said anything wrong or thought anything wrong. Mm -hmm. So just the whole idea of God as protector, care, and all of those things, believe it or not, and it's a great thing, I'm plugged for our church, I have learned those things here in this church. I never... I rarely, I I can count on one hand the times I heard a message about the love of God. It was always the opposite. And so to hear this other complete side of God and to grow spiritually and actually want a relationship with this God is a whole new thing for me. (laughs) And I mean, I'm sure I've been here for 15 or 16 years, but it's just freeing. 
It's amazing. It's a, it's a realization that I was never taught. It's uh, something deep in my heart that I'm learning. And as you're talking, Greg, giving things to God, mm -hmm. you know, I determined early on he was never, ever getting all of my heart to control right. because of who I saw him to be. But now I'm growing and learning, and that's why I really like this series and this sermon, <laughs> yeah. because I'm like, oh, wow. Sure. It's about caring for me well, and right. loving me. Yeah. That's why he wants me. Right. Not to keep me out of hell, per se, but he wants me. Right. And that, I mean, that's, that's why he wants us in heaven is so that he can be with yes. us. I mean, how awesome is that? And that's why we shun hell because the essence of hell is separation from him. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talk about it being fire and all that, but again, who knows if that's just the best language that was available, that torture mm -hmm. of being separated from him. We don't, we don't, I, I don't, I never want to be separated from him. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we say that, don't we? I mean, we say that the best thing we could possibly do would be near to God, right? But then when we talk about heaven, we're talking about how we'd like to fish all the time or how we'd like to, you know, have this house. It's really nice place. with a, you know, bathroom in your own bedroom, right. that kind of thing, you know. But the reality is if the best thing that we could possibly ever have in existence is to be close to God. I mean, if that's truly the best thing ever. That is heaven. And uh, and while we're here on this earth, there's always things that get in the way of that there whether it's our own physical form or whether it's relationships that we have bad or good. I mean, there's always something that gets in the way of that being perfect. But when I think of heaven, I could care less where it's at. It's about who it's near. You know what I mean? I could care right. less what the that's form awesome. is. It's going to be. And that's why I always think to myself, there is a piece of this kind of Belinda Carlisle heaven is a place on <laughs> earth. You know what I mean? That's, I mean, there is that essence that while we're here, we continually to grow closer to God. And in a sense, as we get closer to him, you heard some of the older people saying, it's almost like, you know, it's like getting closer to heaven. You know, right. I mean, it's this idea. That's what it is. I mean, if heaven is going to be that place where I'm as close to God as I can be, um, then there's every day, every moment as I grow closer to him and I submit myself and he has more control over my life. It really is getting that little better taste of what heaven will eventually be like. Right. How frustrating it must be for God. I don't know if God gets frustrated the way we do, but you know, Becky, you were talking about the the way you were raised that that and and you're not alone in that. I mean, mm -hmm. certainly uh, growing up in even in the Nazarene Church of the 70s and 80s, there was a lot more of that and um, sort of fear tactics and that that the the absolute essence of love that God is the absolute essence of holiness and goodness and care, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. that he is, that that we have so much focus on um, you, you better turn or burn, you know, and it's when we miss out on what the fulfillment of, of being in relationship with him is. And that, that was a turning point for me. And um, yeah, that's, oh, I just can't imagine what that would be like for him to be yeah. so good and caring and loving and yet so many of his people strive to scare people into relationship well, with them. And like Becky said, if, if you start feeling that, if you start changing where you understand God cares for you, how much easier is it then to submit? Yes. Like right. if you begin Amen. to understand that the care is going to be good and it's going to be for your benefit and it's always going to be, I mean, how much easier it is to say, God, please have control of my life. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Amen. Because I, I just felt like that the conclusion and after reviewing the sermon again, I had listened to it again Monday because that was that was powerful. I just I, I wrote down this is what is my goal after hearing this? How do I want to grow? And I know. I don't know how it's going to look daily for me, but I know that I choose to be a slave, not <laughs> just a follower. And so the question to me that I'm asking myself is, will I go, do, stop, and proceed in command to his voice daily? Yeah. That's, that's And I might not be deliberately withholding parts of me from him any longer, but I also know that I'm not listening every moment of every day. And even bigger than that, I'm not asking first what his yeah. will is. Yeah. So that's a big change to make. 
That is. And one that I want to make, and I hope that others will feel that way after hearing right. about God's true character. Yeah. yeah. That's it's a very challenging thing for sure, but challenging is, is where we live in relationship with God. He yeah. He's constantly yeah. challenging us and calling yeah, it's us It's one thing further. to say you're a slave. It's another thing to actually, I love that, actually put the command statements there. Am I willing to go, do, right. stop, listen? Am I willing to actually put the action to the right. word? You know, one thing, sure, be in control. It's another thing when it actually happens and you've got to actually go and do yeah. it. <laughs> well, uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up? Pastor Kyle always says this, uh, simple obedience changes history. And I think that certainly fits with this sermon, right? Submitting yes. is about being obedient. Yeah. And uh, Becky said it well, I think. And that's certainly inspiring. Okay. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for this week. Uh, we hope you'll join us, uh, if, our listeners. If you don't have a church home and you are in the area, we'd love to have you any Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our more traditional service or at 11 a.m. for our more modern worship service. And we have life groups for children, teens, and adults. We've got a couple new ones coming up. You can check all that out on Facebook. And uh, you're always welcome to email the church office at office at scnaz.com. Um, and again, just by listening, you are part of the family.